Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. That's right. You got it right first time. And today we're going to talk about high tunnels or, all right, now I got you covered. See, isn't that cute? Isn't that uh, cute? You, All right. No. Okay. <laughs> <That's goofy. laughs> no, it's not very cute. Okay. So anyway, so um, let's, before we get started into the thing that you wanted to talk about first, which has nothing in my mind to do with high tunnels, what is a high tunnel? What's a high tunnel? Why don't you define it? Well, a high tunnel is um, a bunch of really tall hoops that are made of metal that curve and then is covered in plastic. That's mm -hmm. pretty much it. And then it has openings usually at either end and some kind of a vent. It's really that simple. So a lot of those things that you see that you probably are saying greenhouses or whatever, those big hoops along the roads. Right. Those are high tunnels, which are technically different than a greenhouse. Well, absolutely different. And they're, they're also called polytunnels. And, um, and the, the major, well, there are a few major differences, but the major difference is that in theory, that high tunnel can be moved uh, to a different location. So let's say um, you want to add more high tunnels, you can make it longer. Uh, you want to move it to a different spot because you realize there's going to be a tree fall on it or you have a different piece of land you want to put it on. Um, <clears throat> it, it is movable, but it is not an easy task contrary to the people who sell them. Yeah. Uh, a greenhouse is a permanent thing. It also stays a bit warmer in the winter uh, and is easier to heat overall. Usually has some glass involved. It does have typically. glass or, or some kind of plastic, uh, you know, but like, like glass. So it's, there's the ability for the light to come through and not be impeded in any way. Um, greenhouses usually have a lot more issues around certain kinds of insects that are a problem, but high tunnels can have that too. So, but high tunnels are the new, you know, jazzy, sexy thing. And the um, USDA has a grant program if you are uh, wanting to um, grow food uh, grow something in the high tunnel. So that's one difference between a greenhouse. A greenhouse uh, is going to have plants in it, maybe that you're propagating and, you know, growing there, but they're not in the ground. In a high tunnel, it has to be, if you get government money anyway, you have to put things in the ground. So it's basically an indoor garden or forest of some sort versus the greenhouse being temporary plants that are going to be... greenhouse might have big tables full of things in little pots and, That's right. and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. then, but th this is just like putting a cover over the land and that's how high tunnels work. Okay. Well, you, you wanted, and you made note before we started talking here and said, I want to talk about forest adaptation first. So, so what does that have to do with, with high tunnels per se? Well, I am going to get into, you know, advantages and disadvantages of uh -huh. high tunnels. Sure. No, I don't have a political view about high tunnels, except when it comes <laughs> to forests. And so we're really about to embark on a huge conversion through our work, my work anyway, in terms of climate adaptation, which everybody should be working on right now. And, um, and, and the goal being that we want to create an environment where we can extend a season, we can protect plants that we need to experiment with, because with climate adaptation, we know that a lot of plants and 
trees, which are plants, but trees and plants are, there are lots of them who are not going to survive that are very stressed out uh, right now. And so, for example, sugar maples in uh, Ohio are not going to survive the, the climate changes that we're experiencing. So they need to move further north. And normally that would happen with birds and animals and sometimes people carrying seeds or propagating the plants further north. But it really can't happen quite fast enough. So we're going to see this big kill off in forests with sugar maples. And there's a lot of other things too. Other maples are going to be okay. So with a high tunnel, we meaning our farm, has the opportunity to say, let's take some trees and let's make another food forest area, which is a pasture we can't use for pasture right now. And we're going to look at what it would take to create food forests. One in a high tunnel where we're going to grow things like apricots, which do not grow in Ohio outside. And we're going to try some pecan trees, which have, they, they have a lot in common. They're in the same family as hickory trees, which are going to make it through climate adaptation in theory. But they share common insects and a lot of other things um, that seem likely that they could do well here as the climate changes, which means it's going to be warmer, although more extreme weather events. And so I am. I love trees. I've loved trees ever since I was a kid. Uh, I remember my parents were looking for a house, a new house. They were. They always moved every three or four years, so they wanted a new house. And we went to look at this house, and I think we might have been my brother. I'm a twin, so I would say we. We were about six, and we're sitting in the car. And there was this huge maple tree and it had the little helicopter seeds that were coming off of it. I'd never seen anything like it. I got out of the car, which I wasn't supposed to do. And I picked up the seed and I put it in my pocket. And then my mother got in the car and she said, oh, don't, don't um, do anything with those seeds because uh, the roots will grow in the yard if it gets in the yard and it will clog up the, the pipes. And I just thought that was fascinating. And I love that tree. And I think that's when I fell in love with trees and trees have been important in my life ever since. But anyway, so I feel like my job as the descendant of indigenous people who understood how to use the forest for food and cover and life, I feel like my job now is to try to take our forest and bring it forward into the changes that are coming. And and well, if we're focused on our history, since I'm the descendant of Vikings, I think I'm supposed to chop those trees <laughs> down and to make them into boats or something. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, since you don't study that and haven't bothered, and I have studied uh, this, um, I, you know, we, we have uh, selectively harvested in the early days when we didn't really know what we were doing, but we did selectively harvest because we needed a new road and things like that but we didn't cut down everything and so i think in our hearts we've always tried to get it right based on what we knew well before we get into some of the advantages and disadvantages of high tunnels and what they are and how you get them and all of that kind of good stuff um i i thought the the interesting thing the thing that's really piqued my interest in this whole project is as you were mentioning before we're dealing with a climate that's that's changing and and we've talked about this over over many many episodes where you know there's been a discussion for a long period how do we how do we slow down climate change how do we halt climate change and our 
attitude at this point is, hey, it's happening. Okay, so how do we adapt to it? How do we respond to it? And we're seeing severe weather events. We're seeing severe infestations of, of parasites and fungus and things of this nature. So we're saying, all right, the world is changing. Our ecosystem is all messed up. Can we use a structure like a high tunnel to get a little bit more control and perhaps deal with a homestead issue within a more controlled environment? Is that pretty well summing up the project that you're looking at? How can we use a high tunnel to create a, a forest garden, a garden, a vertical garden, however you want to describe it, to have a food source and a reliable food source in a world where we cannot rely on the outside. Yeah, like where we, we have to. a lot more control, particularly with insects and, and fungus, um, which, you know, the high tunnel can help with that. The, the thing also is that, you know, with forests, we're, we're really reducing emissions at carbon emissions. And so forests have the ability to mitigate climate change. Um, they, they have a key role in regulating the climate because, um, uh, trees by their photosynthesis absorb CO2 from the atmosphere and they store that carbon as wood and organic matter in the soil. And so just by the action of saying, you know, look, we're going to take what we, the resources we have, and we're going to try to think about how do we mitigate climate change because we do have the ability to do that. Um, we have, you know, forest land, and, and a lot of people have forest land, but they don't know what to do with it. And more and more people are inheriting uh, property that has forest, and many of those people are women, because women live longer than their uh, male partners, uh, as a rule. There's I know a, this is a big there's thing. There's a reason for that. <laughs> this is a really big thing. You notice I'm ignoring that. Uh -huh. uh, there, this is a really big issue in the state of Ohio. I mean, when you see government uh, talking about gender issues, like they are in the state of Ohio, they started this group called Women Owning Woodlands because there are so many women owning woodlands. But people don't know what to do with it. You know, they, okay, there's some trees. Isn't that nice? And they don't understand that there is a whole world of economics in that forest that has nothing to do with cutting trees down to make more furniture, which we have plenty of, or another house, which we have plenty of. Right. Well, when you've been having these discussions with people about how can you use your forests in a sustainable way, um, you know, to actually generate some income for the homeowner. Most people just think, okay, periodically I'm just going to cut down a lot it's of trees. It's true, and that is what the government, like uh, many of the foresters, when, you know, we talk about getting forest management plan, which everybody should have one. There are agencies that will do it for free or for a small fee. You can also apply to the NRCS, uh, the Natural natural Res Natural Resource Center service through the USDA Conservation Service, Conservation, uh, service to um, for for a grant for forest management plan. So everybody should have one because we need to adapt. We need to help the forest. Yeah, and you can't just sort of let your forest sit there because I mean we we may have this idea of well let's listen forests have been around for a long time. Um, you know, if we just leave it, it will find its own, its own natural, uh, healthy point. But the problem that climate change is bringing about 
is that natural healthy point is being disrupted through through invasive species through invasive parasites. But that's always been the case. It's just more extreme. It's doing it a lot faster. Yeah. And if you, you know. don't manage your forest in a responsible way, then the rest of us have to deal with your invasives because the birds and the bees and the people bring that stuff or or collect that stuff not knowing that it's harmful. Well, and we just saw that here recently, a couple of years ago with the emerald ash borer yeah. coming in and it just wiped out all of the ash trees and and then you start to see there are a bunch of dead trees in your forest. Now, that's no longer a carbon sink. That's now they're beginning to release carbon that they've absorbed over the I know, but of time. on the other hand, dead trees are important if it's managed properly. They are full of important insects and... Uh, um, yeah, like emerald ash borers. <laughs> well, but that, that, and yeah, and you know, pine trees are having the same issues now. And there are other trees, the trees that are really super stressed. We've seen this, um, we're uh, participating in a study for um, red buds. And red buds are a tree that's native to this area. And, um, and we love them. They have, I don't know why they call them red, because they have purple blooms that are edible and the leaves are edible and they're really high in minerals and um, tasty. And I'll take your word for that. No, it's true. And uh -huh. you can make jelly and juice. But mm. anyway, they are dying and they don't know why. And what they're doing right now is they don't produce the seed pods they don't have they don't have enough blooms and so people are going why is this happening scientists are saying this but clearly it's climate change so we're going to lose a lot of lovely trees that that support life and including our own so so that's the point we're trying to make here is looking at high tunnels as a solution oh we're bringing it back to high tunnels. that's right we're it back. as okay. a solution well let's talk about high tunnels but before that i want to let people know that you are listening to when the biomass hits the wind turbine with jay and annie warmke reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it and thank god we're talking about that today for sure <laughs> right <laughs> well it's the end of the world as we know it if you're a red bud and we also saw that, that uh, with with some willow trees we saw them all die there was a whole a big die out with um sassafras trees which was very weird um so at least and i'm not that observant a person but if I notice it, know, you know, it's, pretty bad. It, it, it's really happening, you know, I mean, so, so, okay. So we're now saying, all right, we're going to take this high tunnel, high tunnel, back to high tunnels. And we're going to use this as a, as a way of dealing with, not only with trees, but also gardens, because, you know, people, if, if I'm trying to put this in perspective of a homesteader, someone who wants to raise a garden maybe live off the land, maybe we've got to live off the land, you know, and now we're going to use this environment to do so. So what's your vision on how this works? Well, my vision is, and this is completely experimental. Yeah, because we haven't done it yet. So we're well, just Well, we have the high tunnel. Our, well, the and we yeah. have, I have propagated some fig trees, which do not do well. I, I have experimented with fig trees here that, um, uh, and they will survive the winter if they're somewhat protected, but they don't have enough time to recover to produce a big crop. So you would not do well financially if you were raising them. But in the high tunnel, we have a different situation that we can perhaps have control. We're going to raise apricots in there. Um, we're going to raise 
some things that some small fruit trees that can remain trimmed, which will do well in that environment. So they'll produce a lot more because you're not, they're not putting as much energy into the, the tree system, the tree growing system. So this is completely experiment. You're you know? looking at some berry type things in there. Well, as we're well. going to have, uh, we're going to have some raspberries, um, because the thing that's happened with raspberries and blueberries that we've tried in the past is, of course, animals come and eat them. Um, well, we've done fine with raspberries, but although they can get eaten, but the, the blueberries, blueberries require a certain... We've killed enough blueberry plants <laughs> that we could have bought a house. And, and any that we did have, the interns seem to eat them whenever they see them. <laughs> they, you know? pick. they do that with raspberries too. But right. anyway, so we, we are going to have... The, the thing is, a food forest... Let me just say a little bit more about food forest because we've had other episodes and I invite people to go and listen to those because we've also had experts on with us uh, to talk about this much more succinctly than me. But in a food forest, you're using all of the real estate. And that is not just what's on the ground, but what is up in the understory of the tree and then different height of trees. So there might be a big, tall pecan and under that a fruit tree and then elderberries and then gooseberries. And then there would be a, at some point when you've got all that really well established, you would grow a vine. Like so within a high else. tunnel, because the real estate is even more limited, I would assume that's even more, more important to use every, every, bit. every bit of because real estate. Because you've got a big chunk of change in it and the return on it may not be what you need it to be if you're doing this for, for uh, economic purposes versus this, the social experiment that it is. Okay, well, so some of the benefits of a high tunnel may be really obvious, but but why don't you list off what what are some of the benefits that you've looked into and that you see? Well, the number one re reason I think people are trying to do this is they want to extend the growing season. And uh, I know some farms that I have worked with, they, they have a frost blanket they use over their greens and they're able to provide greens to restaurants all winter long. It also has the potential to improve the plant and soil quality because you're in control of the soil. Like with us, ours is completely clay, hard as a rock, sitting on bedrock. And so we're bringing in all kinds of muck from the barns and other kinds of embellishment um, to create our own soil. So you have that control. Um, it also reduces nutrient use. Uh, and pollen and pe pesticide drift. So when the pollinators are in there, um, that you know they can do their job. And if there's pesticide being sprayed, which is a big problem for an awful lot of people who want to grow naturally or uh, organically, that protects the plant from that pesticide drift. It also reduces energy use and improves air quality. Um, and they say this is because you're providing consumers with local produce. So anytime you can produce, That's well, this is, this is, these are really <laughs> has nothing to do with the high tunnel. If you're using local produce, you're, you're helping things out. Yeah. Okay. But they're just making a point that if you do this, you can grow things locally. Mm -hmm. um, so, and high tunnels can produce all kinds of high value products. Uh, not mushrooms, it'd be too hot, but all kinds, anything you can think of to grow. Well, if somebody's having trouble envisioning this, you've, you've mentioned it's a, it's a very large hoop. Um, our high tunnel that we've installed 
is just under 100 feet long. Oh, it's 88 by 24. 88, 88 by 24. And it's probably, what, about 12, 13, 14 feet at, in at the height? At least that height. Yeah, so it, these things are big. I mean, you can grow full-size trees inside, you know, obviously not big oak trees, but but fruit trees and things right down right. the center you of it. You, you, you would, as I've been saying all along, is you have to be aware of what you want that tree to do or that plant to do Keep and then trimmed. how it's going to react in that environment. And then it has doorways on each end that can open up. It has ventilation and the ventilation in our high tunnel is controlled by the temperature. So the vents open up if it gets too warm, they close when it's not warm, but then the sides roll up and down. So my assumption is in the wintertime or when it's cold, you keep those things down to keep everything a little bit warmer. But in the summertime, you can lift those things up, uh, raise them up so that you're getting essentially the same temperature indoors yeah. as outdoors. Well, that's true. But you also give a giant gateway to critters getting in. So there are things you have to do about that with deer netting and things. But, but one thing it did say is that with that rolling up and down, one of the disadvantages is if you if it's a cold morning, a chilly morning, even not frost, but just chilly, uh, there is a convection of air if you leave those sides up uh, that comes right at the level of the plant that can be incredibly harmful. So and let me just say what it's constructed of, because I said it's hoops. Um, it's usually constructed with 14 gauge steel hoops, the pipes that make the arches, and then triple gauge to make sure that the corrosion um, isn't isn't as um, much a problem. They say it's simple to assemble and disassemble. And I would say, yes, if you are Amish simple and uh, if you don't do it. have five men pounding and hammering, and I'm describing how, how ours went up. You can, one of the big advantages is you can expand it. So you can make it a lot longer provided you have the space. And so as you have more money or more ability, you can uh, expand the length of it. Well, I know you talked about that they can be moved, but, but boy, oh boy, preparing that site where you have to dig these drainage trenches around it because there's a lot of water that comes off of that, um, that building and it's got to be channeled away from the structure and there's a lot of site preparation and burning uh, down and and of and course <laughs> those guys drilled down in and pounded those support poles down into the ground and uh, i don't think we'd ever want to move it for sure no i don't think so um if we did we would be selling it to somebody else and well, then that would be fine but so let me just say the structure provides greater control over essential inputs like water and fertilizer and temperature and also can be protection from harsh weather. Um, I know this fall we, we don't have uh, a lot of um, soil in there yet, so I brought in some tires and some um, unused, uh, have never been used um, uh, drain pipe that's, I don't know, it's six or eight inches or 10 inches and uh and we filled those up and grew greens in those and we had greens until january uh when i stopped going over there because the door was frozen shut so that is a disadvantage it's on the it's on the ground so anyway so those are those are some of the advantages and then the 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 um 
it, one of the things that they talk about is that the high tunnel enables you to have a lot more cro crop diversity. Uh, so you can experiment with early varieties and extending the seasons earlier and later. And then of course they're easy to ventilate. The disadvantages, um, the tunnels are often colder inside than outside during a frost, which makes sense because it traps the air. Um, they're harder to shade than a, a regular greenhouse because it's a huge uh, rounded thing instead of, you know, windows. They're also more storm prone in extreme weather. Um, you know, something falling on it or the wind or uh, the weight of ice like we just had uh, could, you know, cause the, the sure. plastic to rip. And well, it is just plastic stretched that's over right. metal. And that is one of the disadvantages also is that periodically, um, I think it's guaranteed for four years or five years, the plastic, you're going to have to invest another couple of thousand dollars in, uh, in plastic. Well, and if it. you're looking at it from an econ environmental standpoint, that's a lot of plastic that's well, getting thrown that's away. Well, that's a really good point. It's a, not just thrown away, but used. And so um, I think one thing that may help a little bit is having a sh having the shade cloth. And I think once uh, we are, pa when we're planting it, I think we want to consider there isn't one end that has a lot of shade in the morning that maybe at some point we want to grow things that are going to do better there and we could have it even shaded more. Well, in the last couple of minutes that we have, why don't you walk through some of the process because these things are relatively expensive. So why don't we talk about some numbers? And, and there is program. There is a program from the N, NRC, NCRS. NRCS. Uh, NRCS? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. National uh, Okay. Anyway, they'll help you pay for it regardless of what their name is. So, uh, so yeah, talk a little they, bit about they, that. Uh, so the way that program works, the way that program works um, is that uh, they look at what is the cost of a kit. So you have to buy a kit. You can't just go out and buy the components. And that way they're, they're making sure that the money they're giving you is going to um, actually, you know, make it happen. And you have to pay uh, for the labor uh, unless somehow that gets put into the kit, which for us it did not. And then, um, the way it happens here in our region is the you do a contract, they come look at the site, and then they they install it, and um, you pay a deposit. That's all you have to do. And then when you get the money from the NRCS, you pay them. Um, you know that, but there are a lot of other ways that you can have a, a high tunnel. There are often. If you look at uh, like um, organic farm associations or other agriculture associations, uh, if they have a listserv where online people post things they're selling, I know just recently there was a person going out of business and there were seven high tunnels, different sizes, irrigation material, uh, boxes, all the things you would need to start your own business at an incredibly, like a tenth of the price. Well, to give a sense of the prices, if I, if I recall right, it, the whole installation ended up costing us like seventeen or eighteen thousand dollars. Yes, so seventeen thousand. And and then they paid uh, the government actually subsidized that about 
what, 10,000? 11,000, some change. Yeah. So even though, now they like to say they're paying, what, 75%. It doesn't come out that. No, they Just paid for the kit. They, paid they did the pay kit. for the entire kit. So whatever that price came. paid for everything came, else. Yeah. And they pay a certain amount per square foot. So if we'd gone and bought the Cadillac version or whatever, they would have said, no, we're only paying this. You have a contract that they pre-agree what the amount will be. Okie doke. Well, I want to uh, remind everybody that you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jane Annie Warmke. We want to thank our kit of a producer, Adam Rich, uh, <laughs> and we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and plant a tree. Till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com. Yeah.